0: It's Wednesday, November the 1st, and you're very welcome to the latest instalment of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Less than two years ago, Labour was not only in government, it was Ireland's second largest party, with the largest parliamentary representation in its history. After its wipeout in the 2016 election, Labour now only has seven seats and struggles to make its voice heard in the Dáil or on the national stage. And and so far, opinion polls show that Labour under Brendan Howland's leadership remains becalmed at 6% or less. So, what chance does the party have of reviving and renewing itself and what does Labour stand for now? I was joined in studio earlier by the party's candidate in the Dublin South Central constituency, Rebecca Moynihan, by Ed Brophy who was Chief of Staff to tonish to Joan Burton in the last government and by our own Fia Kelly. I asked Rebecca first about what she thought her chances were in the next election.
1: Well, I think it's very difficult. And obviously I've been a local councillor, um, since 2009. So I'm now going into areas that I wouldn't traditionally have been in before. So it's very much like starting all over again. You have to introduce yourself to people. People don't know you. Um, and in terms of that, like it, it's, it's a trudge. There are also a lot of, um, people who would have been Labour voters that um, after 2011, maybe over the course of that period, fell away from us. The last election was very difficult. I think where we had traditionally working-class constituencies like Dublin South Central. Um, it was quite scary on the doors at the time. Scary how? Huh? Uh, just f- physically scary. Um, people screaming at you. People telling you to get off um, get off the road. People um, threatening to put their dogs on you. So it was very physically scary to, to go out there Um Day after day, that stopped, you know, and I, I always say, particularly with some of our campaign team, there was an element of like post-traumatic stress, I think, that a lot of us got. So sometimes I found myself even very recently kind of hiding, <laughs> not hiding behind a bush, but hesitant to go to a particular door um, and went and it was fine and, and, and it, was a, it was a fine conversation. But I think why after do you, why a couple do you think there was such anger that?
0: I don't want to in this podcast get into the whole going over the tea leaves again of the the record of labor and government I mean that's been ventilated enough we want to kind of look forward a bit more but that extremity of anger which I think I see even still to some extent on social media against against you know labor party candidates why why so extreme
1: I I don't know. I I don't think it's just about the Labour Party. I think politics is getting very extreme at the moment. I think debate is very extreme. Um, I've just been looking at some of the stuff that's happening in the the US and how people have completely polarised and there's no rationality there's no debate people go online they they scream certain things they scream certain um statements and there's no debate that's happening so so i think it it's happening in general and i don't think it is just about the labor party but i think there's been so do you a think what what, what you shift. were
0: experiencing on the doorsteps was an extension of the way of learned behavior online
1: yes i do um and i think it it does happen that our it, in ireland particularly people meet you one-on-one. So I think if you have pent-up aggression and frustration and people are reading things online and they're, they're getting more and more annoyed about things and, and certain things that you know weren't necessarily true or weren't necessarily factual or there, w- there was a two-way debate about it. There was no debating with people. There was no having a rational conversation with some people. So I, I think that anger towards the Labour Party specifically is gone. I think um, it's more indifference at the moment, which I'm kind of happy about. And then it's well, a case it's of just. For you, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's an improvement. Um, and then it's going to be a case of trying to win people around again. You know, there's a number of different steps that you have to take, particularly when you're a party who you know collapsed in the last election. I, I don't think there's any dispute over the fact that we did absolutely collapse. Um, so things are changing but I don't want to be a Pollyanna and say you know it's absolutely fantastic out there you know we're going to storm back with 30 seats that's not going to happen um, but I think we're slowly but surely chipping away and re-establishing Because like Vic that.
0: there is no sign of the Labour Party storming back to to 15 seats much less the 30 if it to go by the most recent polls
2: No I think they're hovering around 5-6% in most opinion polls over the last while the stated target of the party Brendan Hill said he wants them to double their seats so that's 14 as far as I know but um, but it's interesting, Rebecca says it's gone from anger to, to almost indifference towards the party. That's, it sounds very familiar because, you know, the Labour Party often says, look what happened to Fianna Fáil in the last electoral cycle. And that's exactly what we heard from Fianna Fáil candid- candidates and TDs. Sometime through the last all, you know, we've, people have stopped being angry. They're now indifferent to us. We have to make the case. to them. But the problem is we still haven't seen the Labour Party making that case strongly yet. And it's probably because they're hampered by their small numbers at a national level. Um, they're crowded out pushing Fane on the one hand and the hard left on the other but I think the the big task for the party first of all is going to hold the seats they have so they have seven it's not anyway guaranteed that they will be held Rebecca's obviously one of the you know the better hopes for the party along with Jed Nash Kevin Humphreys and Aonor Reardon so You'd have to give him a fighting chance to get getting towards 10 seats, I think, on a good day. But doubling the figures, I don't think it's going to happen.
0: Because um, Adrian Kavanagh, I don't want to uh, misquote him. Uh, Ed, Ed's a big fan of his. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian Kavanagh who, who is an occasional, <laughs> has been an occasional guest on, on this show, he, he paints a fairly... Fairly bleak picture. I mean, a very bleak picture of what the seat outcome might be for Labour at the next election. But I think the broader point that he makes is that, whereas previously and historically, where, where Labour were the half in a two and a half party system, they were in a position to pick up the last seat in constituencies yeah. when they're not able to do so now with a much more competitive uh, bottom of the bottom of the ballot paper uh, contest going on between independents and other small parties.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it does very much depend on on the day and on the national momentum and the extent of which there is or isn't national momentum. I mean, at or 6% you would have to worry about the party mm. uh, but I think the point that's not really been made is that we're not really competing in the number of constituencies mm. that we competed in before we're going to be competing in 14-15 constituencies max where we have realistic prospects so if you take a national vote share of 6% and you apply it to 30 odd constituencies you're going to get a very different uh, outcome than if you apply it to 15 constituencies it's always higher in Dublin as well and, it's all, and Dublin will be where, where the real battle will be Like you know, so, so so who knows I think Adrian probably paints probably too bleak a picture Uh, but at the same time, I think it's touch and go. I mean, it really really is.
0: Because historically, I mean, one of the things I I, I think which, we're talking about him when he's not here, I'll have to give him a shout. One of the things that that, that he perhaps doesn't take into account is the fact that always uh, the Labour Party going back for decades, even when it's in some difficulty, has, you know, local, has specific localities where a a high-profile politician has a loyal following probably irrespective of what party they're in and that 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 has acted traditionally as a bulwark against complete collapse when they're doing badly. It
3: has. And also, I think the thing you have to take into account, and I mean, Rebecca talks about the toxicity and the kind of fact that that's ebbing away a little bit at the moment. The Labour Party in polling is doing very well in second preferences. Now, that doesn't necessarily count for, you know, how it's going to do in, in seats or things like that, but there is an ebbing away of toxicity. So the Labour Party is kind of quite appealing to a broad broad range of voters. You know, in the last election, there was always an active voting against the Labour Party that went on with the transfers and things like that. And you saw people like Aona Reardon lose their seats essentially because of that. Mm-hmm. In the next election, with the toxicity gone, with the party having a broader appeal, you would think there would be competitive for the and, final seat and, in certain constituencies. And
0: if that's true, how might that work for you, Rebecca? Because Dublin South Central is arguably the most left-wing constituency in the country. It's uh, three of the four TDs would identify as being from left-wing parties, Sinn Féin, Solidarity, and Joan Collins, I think, um, as, uh, as well. Um, so Labour is swimming in that pool to some extent. I mean, are you looking to win one of those, those three seats?
1: Um like I always I I'm always loath to um particularly in, in terms of an election might be very far um very far out to, to, to predict what's going to happen. I think you essentially have um a situation said central. I think there's probably two seats between um, Joan Collins, Bruce Smith, and Angus Snuddig, and I think Angus, um, ha, has a seat in, in, that mix and mash-up And then I think you probably have two seats between my, um, myself, Catherine Arda, and Catherine Byrne, and, I'll I feel would, fall and finagale, 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 and finagale. and I'd probably see them as, as being a little bit stronger. Um, but I, I think it comes down to, to key preferences. Um, as you say, so I would imagine that we will probably be friendlier, to, to, for example, of getting um, Sinn Féin preferences um, in the constituency, just the the, the makeup of it and, and where we get our vote. Um, I would probably be stronger in the inner city than some of the other candidates, whereas other people, the, there's a Bally Farmer place and some people have a Cumberland have a base. So I think it's always really difficult to, to do that and, and predict it. And I think particularly when you're coming from a, a party, as Vic says, that's not going to add around, you know. Five to seven percent nationally. Um, I think the best thing that you can do is just go out and try and win as many votes as you can. And, and a, up in you know, the air apart from putting yourself forward, lands, somebody's going lands. to be a really
0: great local representative, or whatever it might be. What do you say to a person on the doorstep who says, "Why should I vote for you rather than Breed Smith, or why should I vote for you rather than Angus Snoddy"?
1: That question doesn't really come up because people haven't engaged on an election yet. You know, mm. you're, you're, you're talking. Well, what to what people, would your answer be when
0: that question I, does come but up? But
1: I, I think that's a very specific question that people tend to do in, in terms of a, an election. Mm. So. when they're beginning to think it's not at this stage in the electoral cycle that doesn't happen Um, I think what like the Labour Party nationally is going to have a campaign and I'm going to have a campaign myself. Um, I think I've been a very strong local representative. Um, I'm very strong in my own local areas. I've advocated um, very much and had some big wins in terms of like community infrastructure um, w- within the inner city. So I, I think people will know me and they will know the work that I that, that I have done. That's a separate thing to why vote for you, why vote for people before profit. So let, let's take out that question and what people nationally will be saying. You know... Um, we are certainly a party that delivers. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't oppose Mm -hmm. everything. Um, We work very hard to try and get an imperfect solution. Um, There are no blue skies. When you look at, let's say, for example, the housing crisis in Dublin South Central, um, we have worked with other parties on Dublin City Council to try and be able to deliver small amounts of local houses. People for profit have opposed building of social housing within the constituency. So you can't be all things to all people. And I think... Once an election happens, people will realise that... You can't give bland answers and be all things to all mm. people. So, so Phil, just, to just to understand, decisions.
0: what Rebecca's describing there it seems to be is there, there, there's two things. One is the nuts and bolts of getting back into constituencies mm-hmm. and probably refreshing and reviving organisations that mm-hmm. might have atrophied a bit. Um, and the other one is, is some differentiation from, from yep. what else is being offered to the electorate. And the key point of differentiation there is that uh, we have certain policy positions, but we're a party that looks to implement them rather than mm-hmm. a party of, of permanent opposition.
2: Yeah, I, I, that's a fair assessment. I think, you know, when you, you are here. To anecdotally that people like Rebecca, Eonor Reard and Kevin Humvees are working really hard on the nuts and bolts aspects of actually getting elected and I think Rebecca's right when she said you know people aren't engaged with an election question yet but when they do engage perhaps the Labour Party will have something to say because the big two have made it plainly obvious they don't want to go into government with Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil has made it plainly obvious that it wants a centre-left government of some description. And we're going to have a situation where it's highly likely that the big two will be very close to each other in terms of seat preferences. Like it could be two or three each way. So, in a situation where we return after the next election, and maybe the Labour Party has seven, eight seats, they suddenly become crucial in terms of forming well, a government. Leon Martin's
0: already fluttering his eyelashes seriously. But he? Brendan Helen yeah. is not
2: going to say before an election, "I'm going in with you or you," because you just give away your bargaining chip after an election. So, I think the Labour Party may, in the latter stages of a campaign, if Sinn Fein. Shut out because everybody says they don't want to do business with them, could become relevant in that it could be Brendan Howland who, after election, if he decides to throw in his lot with Mihal Martin, throws Mihal Martin a number of seats ahead of Leo Faradkar and then they have the authority to form a government or vice versa. So you could see perhaps a, a situation that the PDs used to play on. Coming into play for Labour in the campaign. Do you think that campaign? kind of
0: proposition, though, Ed, is, is is a good electoral strategy to win as many seats as possible in the general election? We're the Labour Party. We're the sensible party of the left. We'll go in and we'll act as a brake on the excesses of Leo Varadkar, or we'll work in partnership with me, Martin. Is that the right place for Labour to be right now?
3: Well, I mean, I think the party has to just have an independent strategy in the Mm. election. It it shouldn't indicate beforehand who who it would go Mm. in with, or even if it's going to go into government. I mean, my personal view is that the party should always be in government or should always be at the table for government formation. Uh, I mean, if you look at any other European country or any other country where there's a social democratic party, the question as to whether it does or doesn't go into government kind of never arises because it is just assumed that to get social democratic policies, the
0: social democratic. But is that usually government. because in most other European countries, the social democratic party will be the largest partner in in a coalition of that sort?
3: Well, I mean, on a good day, it used to be the case. I mean, yeah. a, on a good day in Ireland, between fifteen and twenty percent of the electorate vote <laughs> social democratic or think social democratic. Right. The problem is that the current political arrangements mean that the social democratic vote is fractured between a number of parties. And independence. So it's kind of less than the sum of its parts. uh, And that makes it less, you know, give it less bargaining power, I guess, uh, in terms of government formation. Um, So in terms of the Labour Party, I think it has to be looking at government formation. Uh, It has to be in the mix. It has to be at the table. Uh, but it shouldn't be indicating beforehand which way it which way? Isn't we'll the other know. part of
0: that, though, that that fracturing also means that Labour, as still the largest social democratic party, leaves itself very vulnerable to attack from those other smaller parties for compromise and all those kind of words that are seen as dirty? Well, I mean, social dem- democracy, if you want to go all the way back, is a compromise between Labour and capital.
3: I mean, so any social democratic party that's, that's critical of compromise kind of doesn't understand social democracy uh, in the first place. If you're talking about the people on the further left, they're they're Trotskyite revolutionaries. I mean, they don't believe
0: in parliament anyway. I mean, they believe, or even for they, me look at the level of they, criticism by the Social Democrats of of the Labour Party. For well, example. the
3: Social Democratic Party uh, in Ireland is kind of the wing of the Labour Party that is anxious about going into government. Essentially, that's what it's made up of. It's made up of people who are you know who agonise about the Labour Party going into government and were very had deep misgivings about the Labour Party in government. Uh, that that that's what that is.
0: And there's always been a tradition of that in labor is hasn't there, in, in Irish Labour? There's always been a, a part of the party that, that resisted going into government.
3: Always, always,
0: yeah. always, always. But
3: it's always the thing that's puzzled me, uh, and I mean, maybe I'm, you know, stand alone in that, or maybe me and a few other people stand alone in that. I've never understood that, because I don't understand why, if you're a Social Democratic Party you don't want to go into government. I mean, it seems to me self-evident that that, that, is what, that is what you do in order to get your policy, irrespective of whether you're a smaller social democratic party than is the traditional uh, situation in the rest of Europe. So, I, I mean, I, I I think we have to be at the table.
0: Um, Rebecca, I mean, Ed mentions the rest of Europe, and one of the things is we, we tend to look through whether provincial or local prism at these things sometimes. I mean, social democracy is a long, honourable political tradition going back a century, a century and a half or or, or so it's in trouble right across Europe. I mean, even look at the most recent elections. I mean, people have focused on the rise of the populist right in, in say, Austria, the Czech Republic, but uh, they haven't focused so much on the fact that in both those countries, the Social Democrats who used to be major powers in both those countries have had terrible results.
1: Yeah, I was, I was actually just trying to jump in there when, when Ed was speaking, or wanted to jump in, not trying to jump in. Um, feel free to jump it, in, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> um, it, it, it is a problem, and so Ed made the point that Social Democratic parties should always want to be at the table for government, and one of the things that I think that we've maybe done as European Social Democrats is not really understand why we want to be there at the table for, for, for government. And I think post-war, we were very clear in terms of, you know, building a universal health service and um, building, um, you know, social housing, not just social housing, housing and affordable housing for all. What I think we did in maybe the latter 20 years, and I'm talking about on, on, on a European-wide basis, is we decided to tinker around with those issues and we decided that the private sector could better deliver. So what we would do is we would pay the private sector to deliver social housing. We would pay the private sector to deliver health care. And I think there almost needs to be a radical rethinking of what social democracy is if we are going to be there and at the table in government, which is very different from, let's say, the... the the revolutionary parties of the hard left who don't believe in, in, in any place for the private sector. But we have almost allowed the private sector and the markets to overwhelm us in our policies and how we have approached things. And that so, was the
0: sort of the post Thatcherite, right, Blairite, right, exactly. New Labour Dispensation. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the,
1: the third way, you know, mm. you had Schroeder in Germany, I think you had Bill Clinton and you had Tony Blair as well. And and th- there's a lot to be said for, let's say, th- th- the expansion of... Um, the school system and building of new schools within Britain. And I think this comes in like it's something I've been thinking quite a lot about as we are building new schools and we are divesting patronage in the schools. Why are we then giving patronage to small organisations all over? Why aren't we building taking this opportunity to build a state system of primary schools and secondary schools a national school system mm-hmm. proper state system and deliver that for the first time ever in Ireland we potentially have the opportunity to do it. I think you can see it in housing. And when you look at Let's say some of the, the social democratic parties and, and I'm going to bring Corbyn in here that that did well in the last election. And um, what he managed to do is he managed to engage um, a, a younger cohort of voters. And somebody a very political person recently described it to me as almost a kind of a raw cry of a millennial generation who felt very left out of the debate and who felt very left out of security, so that the security that our parents' generation had growing up that they didn't have. How do you tackle that? You tackle that by having secure jobs or by having jobs to begin with, but also the cost of housing and the affordability of housing. And when we talk about housing in this country, we often talk about social housing and um, private housing, but we don't talk about affordable housing. And like areas like mine, Crumlin, Drimla, the inner city, you had people who were working in long-term, full-time jobs who were taking home a wage for their family. Yeah, they can't, who, can, who, can't
0: afford to do mm-hmm. Who were to live.
1: able to get yeah. housing from the state? Mm-hmm. Now they're not able to get housing from the state. They're going over the limits. At quite. At a, a quite a small stage and we don't have affordable housing, we don't have affordable rent we don't have affordable housing and we tinker around the edges in terms of that. So I think it's up to us to have a radical rethink in terms of how do we deliver housing. So am I being, how do we deliver am I being oversimplistic
0: then Fik when I hear that and I say that seems to imply a shifting back towards the left on the part of the Labour Party in terms of a more interventionist approach by the state in things like the housing market and education.
2: Yeah, that's true, but I think the problem for the Irish Labour Party in the next election will be the problem that it's always faced is that some of the things Rebecca said about housing, Michal Martin said the exact same thing. Greater intervention uh, by the state, not enough focus on affordable housing, direct build by the state. So I think for the Labour Party, the trick is to... Go back to the left, but find a space within the left for itself in Ireland. Because Micheál Martin readily identifies himself as a social democrat as well, although he puts a bit of Republican tinge on it. Can I jump in there, yeah. if
3: mean, I mean, like you know, Micheál Martin's never going to be better than the real thing, though. I mean, I mean, if you want to get the real social democracy, it is, it is the Labour Party. It's, but it's, that's but the so Labour Party has to, to make
2: that point in. Everybody has to
3: make that point in election. But I mean, Micheál Martin is essentially opportunist. Like you know, he was, he was to the right of Genghis Khan uh, when he was in with uh, Mary Harney. Now he's uh, reinvented himself as a social democrat. Uh, Some social people democrat, see that as the you
0: know? genius of Feenafold. Oh, it is, it is. It's the
3: shape-shifting is, is, is the genius. Uh, but, it, but at the same time, the authenticity of the social democratic offer is going to come from the Labour Party. It's not going to come from Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil will pivot and change all the
0: time. You know, Although the Fianna, Fianna Fáil will say, and we've had representatives hmm. of Fianna Fáil in this studio saying it, you know, Fianna Fáil is the party that, that built the most affordable housing and social housing in the state. Hmm. Fianna Fáil is the party that provided free education. Sure. Fianna Fáil is the true but party well, I mean, of the yeah, centre. In, like, in terms life. of the
3: people Fianna Fáil historically represented, the, kind of, you know, the, the, the urban kind of working class and the, and the rural poor perhaps it did, it did represent the party uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the people that a social democratic party would have represented elsewhere. But that's, that's kind of a historical anomaly. But I think it's kind of gone now because Fianna Fáil has gone on a big journey. It went very much to the right. But they're starting to move back. They're starting to move back into that space.
2: And like they are talking about the things in, in terms they of are. housing provision that they Rebecca's are. talking they about. Are. The they policies are. are almost exactly are. the same. They are. They are. They are. So yeah. the Labour Party needs to maybe go a bit further to the left. Or I think what Rebecca said about the, kind of, the, the war cry of the, millenni- the millennial, that you know, you'll always have Fianna Fáil mm adopting, well, they are now, kind of social democratic policies, but they won't probably appeal to that millennial electorate. Well, and is there an opportunity for Labour Party to speak to the younger cohort who is. have the same concerns? Yeah, where,
1: where, I, where I tell you, because I obviously come from from the left, but I tell you where I'm I'm extremely disappointed um, in the vote that Fianna Fáil had on the Eighth Amendment exactly. and to see these old men... Um, Get up um, at that conference, and I watched it, and I, and I was really disappointed. And I was particularly really disappointed for women within Fianna Fáil or younger women within Fianna Fáil to see them to tell me what I can do with my body, or to, for, for them to be able to equate um, my health and my life um, as being equal to the life of a life that might be dependent on me. Mm. And, and that's where fail don't have. So those. it's the
2: opportunity for labour and but, liberal but policies.
1: No, it's not just liberal b- because they don't have. Those same instincts, and and it's it, it's not just like abortion is as much a class issue as it is a healthcare issue as well, because it's about affordability, and travel is about affordability. So 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 that's maybe where we go and we break, and and I think Ed is right. There's a difference between a party that talks and pivots and a party that is kind of consistent in in, in what it does and and how what what perspectives it has. Mm. Um, and, And I think that's maybe an opportunity for us because it was very much us and very much the Labour Party that put the issue such as affordable housing on the agenda. You know, we were the ones that always pivoted Finafal towards the left. And I don't disagree with that. I think there is a social democratic tradition within Finafal. And I think within other European countries, you maybe have people who are members of Finafal who would have been members of the social democratic yeah. party. Mm. I, I think we have a civil war and anomaly mm. in this country. But there's also another tradition there's a PD tradition that's there within Fianna Fáil mm. and those two fight each other internally whereas I, whereas I think at least we're the authentic real Th- there are, are the, there, the, there
0: are also yeah. different traditions within within the labor party though yeah. though Ed, it strikes me i mean yeah. one is obviously the the strong connection to the trade union movement yeah. and a lot yeah. of people who kind of came from the trade unions into mm. in, into electoral politics um, um a, another one is a sort of a I suppose a kind of intellectual liberal tradition. That there was the people people yeah, yeah. talking at the weekend about the the hundredth uh, b- birthday if he had still been alive of Connor Cruz O'Brien, yeah. and you know people like Mary Robinson mm-hmm. and that idea that the Labour Party represented um, progressivism. I suppose yeah, for what yeah. want to better yeah. phrase in yeah. And and during the last election, there were signs that before the last election, there were signs that Labour was trying to claim the credit which Rebecca is talking about there for Labour as being the party which has you know being being at the at the forefront of those. But it's never really delivered electorally as an of what Labour is or in fact there was some criticism that Labour had taken its eye off the ball economically and was trying to focus too much on on social liberalism as as, as as it's current Yeah
3: there's always the argument that that, that pursuing the Labour agenda has never meant that we get any votes you know I, I don't buy that at all, though, because kind of our core vote is is a liberal progressive vote, uh, people who believe in the liberal agenda and a pluralist society. Uh, so I think, and I, you know, but the other thing about the Labour Party is we do the right thing. I mean, it is the right thing to do. We, we believe strongly in these things. We believe strongly in a pluralist society. We believe strongly in, a, in the liberal agenda. We always have. We are kind of, as well as being Ireland's Social Democratic Party, we're also Ireland's Liberal Party, really. There is no real liberal Party. there's no real home for political liberalism in Ireland there really never has been outside of the Labour Party if you think about it I mean true political liberalism and I take everyone from you know uh, Conor Chris Brown who's kind of a Burkean liberal to the extent that that is a thing like mm-hmm. you know uh, all the way to you know people uh, who are now kind of currently pursuing you know transgender rights or abortion rights or whatever like so it's, it's kind of a wide panoply but it is essentially political liberalism in the kind of classical sense and we've we're authentic in that I mean, and I, mean I think, Rebecca, imper- I think imper- yeah. Rebecca's point is very true like I mean you know, Feenafol are just inauthentic uh, on both social dem- dem- democracy and, and on liberalism. I mean, Feenafol are just not a li- all. All their instincts are are, are are anti-liberal. I mean, I mean, even to you know funding newspapers, you know, it's an anti-liberal thing to do. It's 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 statist, you know. In genuine. Like you,
2: you cannot take that away from the Labour Party yeah. that they are genuine liberals. And like you know, the most recent example being the referendum to pass same-sex marriage wouldn't have happened for the Labour Party were they not in government, but then everybody else saw that society was moving and decided to ditch whatever reservations they had and get on the bandwagon. And the Labour Party was somewhat kind of unfortunately blocked out And why does
0: that happen? And that seems to happen again and again. Because I mean, you know, if we look at census or or other kinds of research, it shows that those kind of positions are uh, are there's increasing opportunities there because the proportion of the population which generally agrees with those kind of positions has 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 increased both in terms of votes in referendums and the number of people who want you know uh, non-religious education Mm. for their kids or a range of those things. So why 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 is Labour not benefiting? You
1: have to draw a distinction between a a liberal progressive left and a liberal individualist, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and and there is liberal individualists. The PDs were a perfect example that they were socially liberal, mm. but they were liberal on an individualist basis. Liberal. Well, that's the so Burkean tradition so, yeah. which shed its talking So I about. think there's yeah. a lot of people that, that, that sign up to those liberal progressive politics but are not necessarily economically left or don't believe within the collective or don't believe within state intervention. That shouldn't be where we're at. Mm. And that's certainly not where I'm at. You know, I, I am not that type of liberal i am a liberal but i'm a progressive left liberal um and i think maybe when you say so there is more people that are signing up to a liberal philosophy but if you want let's say non, non-religious non intervention within the school oh. system are you doing that from the perspective of an individualist parents or are you doing that from the pr- pr- perspective of do you want to build a state education system that values all children equally i'm very much of a state education system that values all children equally and that all faiths are respected within that system and that people learn about culture. Um, so but it's possible
0: to be both, isn't it? I mean, yeah. economic liberalism and social liberalism are not necessarily directly connected, but sometimes they are, and equally, social liberalism can be connected with the kind of progressive Absolutely, but in
1: answering the, the question as to why the Labour Party has not necessarily tapped into that very large liberal b- vote, I think you might find that there's a lot of liberals who, let's say, for example, supported mm. marriage equality, yeah. that mm. might be then economically, economically individualistic well, I mean, and, yeah. and liberal, and that's not our vote, and that's not
2: yeah, what Is it the case, then, that sometimes the... I suppose the left, left progressive, left wing economic pe- uh, message at Labour saying does people gets drowned out, get str- or do the, yeah. the people who accept that message from a kind of economic point of view yeah. may not necessarily agree with or have been behind the curve somewhat what on extent, the liberal and to what social extent, policies. Uh, then
0: might it be a might part of this problem be that? the Labour Party has never been the preeminent party in Ireland unlike its social democratic equivalents in most other European countries including the UK so it doesn't have for historic reasons a rootedness in the broad working class as Mm. part of its DNA Mm. to the same extent that say the Labour Party in the UK has. I mean does that does does that not cause a problem for it when it's addressing these kinds of issues?
3: Well I mean it it does have a rootedness in certain working class communities you know. uh, but I I guess the kind of the history of the Irish working class is very different to the history of other European working class because we didn't really have an industrial revolution. We didn't have that kind of mass political consciousness that, 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 that occurred in Britain and, and, and other countries. Yeah. Yeah. And our an base. I, I mean, to, to just pivot back to the other thing, though, I think on the liberalism, I think we've been a victim of our own success to a large extent as well. Uh, and, and it was interesting that Rebecca talked about this kind of schism between social and economic liberalism. Like, Leo Radker is definitely trying to, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's early days yet, kind of reinvent Fine Gael, to a certain extent as a party of social and economic liberalism. Classic and he's religion. mopping up uh, he's trying to mop up the social-liberal, but kind of economically centrist or right-wing part, section of the electorate, which, as Rebecca says, is probably quite a large section of the electorate. I mean, that, that's, that's what he's doing. So, to a certain extent, on these liberal issues, that's similar to the Greens on the environment, everyone's a liberal now, to a certain extent, or, or wants to appear like they're Apart liberal. From Peter Apart from Peter Apart from Well, they tried. They kind they of tried a little bit with Avril, but it didn't really work out. Like you know, There is there is a voice yeah.
2: within the party. Yeah. It is a small voice yeah. at the moment that... Realizes that they have to become more modern in their outlook, more modern to certain issues. But, of all? yes, yeah. but that is not really breaking through at the moment.
3: No, but certainly Finnegal or are, are, you know, to do t- and it was interesting in marriage equality, the the, the the zeal of the convert that came over, kind of Finnegal during that campaign. You know, I remember uh, Andrew Kenny's advisor saying to me, you know, if at the very beginning of that government he'd gone into end and said, you know, during the course of this, you legislate for X and you'll allow marriage for gay people, he would have been taken away uh but you know during that uh, government uh, Finnegan got with that agenda like you know Is and it- actually now see the electoral benefit of it, because they've elected a guy who who is
0: a social liberal, uh, but also an economic liberal. Isn't the problem really that eaten bread is soon forgotten, and the Labour has mm. found, you know, with social causes which it which was first to champion, like for example, you know, marriage equality, that there wasn't there was little or no electoral benefit for the party itself. Um, following that, and is there another element as well, which is that, in, in my perception anyway, Labour was always a place where fresh ideas were introduced into Irish politics, and uh, again, the kind of intellectual tradition which I, I referred to earlier. And that some party, or in fact perhaps all the parties, but you know perhaps most naturally Labour, should be the one that's looking at the kind of brand new issues which the twenty first century is proposing to us, and which are actually are part of the problem that other social democratic parties in other European countries face. How do you deal with things like the gig economy? How do you th- deal with things like uh, rising inequality? How do you deal with things like financial institutions which are out of control? Um, all the all the globalism, all those kinds of issues, migration, indeed as well.
1: Yes, I agree. And I think there are huge challenges facing us that no social democratic party and you look at even, let's say, the Democrats in America, um, they, you know, they're having a resurgence with Trump. They're very lucky because they're able to, you know, pick, pitch themselves against something. Um, but social democracy and social democratic parties in Europe, as I say, almost dropped the ball. Um, on economic issues or the consequences of Mm globalisation and and I think that's a big debate I don't think it's a debate for the Labour Party to solve Mm -hmm. I don't think it's even a debate for but it needs to have ideas and proposals absolutely we definitely we need to begin to have that debate again about essentially how do we deliver for people how do we give people Mm -hmm. delivery and security um, in an age of automation in an age where people are you know um, technology is going to be taking over jobs what do we do is it a universal basic income I'm not too sure that that's a, a, a way of solving it because I see the consequences of that. will It will give corporations an opt-out of, out of paying a fair and living wage mm-hmm. and you'll have something like the family income supplement where the government are stepping in to do it. But how do we do that? How do we guarantee our citizenship Security. How do we guarantee our citizenship a good life in an age of automation, in an age of globalisation, in an age where people can, can, can pull capital and, and move it out?
2: So. those are big ideas, and it would be very interesting to see if the Labour Party took them on. Because mm. I think the most interesting thing that was said in the podcast was, you know, Rebecca's phrase: "What was it? The, the anguish cry of the millennial." Yeah. There's mm. nobody addressing those issues in Irish political debate no. about, you know, precarious uh, working arrangements. Automation of of jobs in the future, etc. So, well, I don't know like,
3: about that, I don't know about that. I mean, Jed Nash was was yeah, the, was, yeah, was an, a minister who really was essentially appointed by us yes. to actually do it. I mean, yeah, yeah, he was, so the, he was the minister for the gig accept economy that. essentially. But yeah, there's nobody
2: yeah. loudly making those points now. No. Like, Jed Nash was actually on the radio last night talking about it, so yeah. in fairness yeah. to him, he hasn't yeah. dropped yeah. the baton no. on no. that. But if the Labour Party were to address itself, you know, combine those issues that matter to certain people with, you know, you know, house building liberalism, social liberalism, then it could be on to something in some and in way. Order to, in
0: order to do that, Vic, I when mean, I listened to you talk about that, I immediately, and I said we weren't going to talk about the past, I can't forget Rory Quinns with his big sign about how yeah. university charges weren't going to be weren't going to be implemented. And then they were implemented, mm. which is almost exactly the opposite of what Corbyn pitched to younger voters in the UK mm. uh, earlier this well,
2: year. Well, let's see what yeah. happens when
3: Corbyn gets into government. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. and, well, and, there is and I, I think we've changed but again. You but have to but, make but, the promise? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, really, like, I cannot see
2: the Labour Party into a campaign next time out making foolhardy promises like that No. like it, it, it won't happen again no. and no. Ed's point about being open to everybody not shutting everything down I would, I would imagine that applies equally to Absolutely. you know dreamlike policies as well as government formation
1: can I just make a point on, on those bigger issues? Because Fiaq is saying that that's maybe a space for the Labour Party. But I, I think it's a space for the Labour movement and the, the, the wider left. And I don't think the Labour Party can be just mm. be the leader and the driver in that. And I, I think there's very much a connection in terms of um, quality of life and collective organising. Um, and the role of the trade union movement having that, mm-hmm. and, and for people to begin to join unions and collectively bargain again. Because I think the reality, that, though, is
0: that the trade union movement—I mean, I, mean, we're, I'm I think, Fake and myself are both members of a trade union, yeah. but we're pretty rare in the private sector to be members of a trade union uh, these uh, days. So the trade union movement is disproportionately—it's it? still currently disproportionately focused on public service you know, workers. In it is,
3: it? but I, Rebecca's point is true. I think absolutely. it's coming back internationally. I mean, if you look at the big kind of organising uh, struggles in the US, they're all about the minimum wage and things like that. And it's all trade unions, like with service workers, fast food Mm. workers, things like that. So it is coming back. At
1: at the time of the Industrial Revolution, that's when unions began to organise it. And and, and I think it is the new cry that we need to do it as a a wider labour movement. Because, and and it comes down to this, and this is why I'm saying, you know, I'm a liberal leftist as opposed to a liberal individualist. I think that the collective working together... Achieves more mm. than the individuals working individually. Mm. So you have that in the gig economy. Yeah. You're asking people who should be employees to basically beg for a job. It's back to the situation where you were yeah. down mm. the, the docks with the hands up, mm. you know, hiding your, your your broken legs so you mm. could show that you were physically able to do work. And, and I think that's the cry. But it is the, so much the a cry of for the millennial. Yeah. To,
2: realise those problems and organise sufficiently to get people on board like if there's anything that the left can take from what has happened in the UK is the organisation of the younger voter of people in momentum and motor groups so it should be do you think
0: Labour here can approach anything like that level of success I don't think so I think it's
2: I think that that's I think Rebecca's right you know, the fall-off participation in trade union movements, etc., is not a challenge for the Labour Party. It is a challenge for the trade union movement that they need to show that they can speak to the concerns of younger people yeah. and organise in a way that's relevant to younger people, Absolutely. you know, that might be through this mass online engagement like we've seen at Momentum. It might not be the traditional going around paying your subs to the shop steward in your organisation, but it, it's, it's there also, to be done. But it's also delivering for people. Yeah. It's actually doing things but for it, people. It, you it,
1: know? It's, it's not just trade unions. Yeah. It's not just mm. the Labour Party. It's the Labour and progressive movement that includes things like the Greens. That includes so people so, yeah. like the Social Democrats, a wider Social Democratic movement, because mm-hmm. we are stronger. And Ed is entirely right. Our constituent parts aren't adding up include to, to probably. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and
0: how might that manifest itself in, in the real world? I don't know. <laughs> Ed? I'm not convinced about
3: Sinn Féin because I'm not convinced really where Sinn Féin stands on these issues. I mean, I think I think Sinn Féin is quite opportunist uh, 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 on a lot of issues, and, and there's a whole legacy, a uh, whole legacy there. But I mean, I think to Rebecca's point, I think the centre left, at the progressive left, the social democratic left, is less than the sum of its parts yeah. currently in Ireland at a time when it's probably never been more needed. You know, uh, so 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 there's a fracturing. Uh, and until that fracturing is kind of dealt with in some way, it probably won't be it, until it after like the next not, election. No, no, not after the next election. You, no, tried, you no. tried it
2: after the last election. You, there was kind well, of, it was probably the wrong time.
3: Like, we, were, we, were, we had been <laughs> destroyed and we were, very, we were coming from... Right like, you well, know, as,
2: as, yeah. it, it looks like the Green Party would be open to some sort of cooperation. There is the cooperation party. already. I mean, you can but see like, it but, already. Yeah. Like you have a, a situation where you're seven plus two plus two like, and the differences between you guys are, are relatively minimal. So it makes no sense to have this kind of quarrelsome... Kind of, yeah, uh, uh, group of people. How much of
0: personal?
2: I a would lot. say a lot uh, between the Labour Party and the Social Democrats in particular mm. is mm. personal. I think that goes from sundered relationships that happened during the Labour Party's last term in government down to fracturing of local Labour Party organisations mm-hmm. and local activists going off to to gather with the Social yeah. Democrats. So I would say the split between the Labour Party and the Social Democrats is very personal, as you can see by you know sometimes I think there was a month or two ago there was an outright rejection of the suggestion of any sort of cooperation mm. between the two. Yeah. The Greens. It's not really that personal. The Greens, Eamon Ryan is a pragmatic politician. Uh, I think he would be more open to doing business. But I think with the Social Democrats, the personal animus is going to be the main difficulty that will have to be overcome. Fiat, can I ask you, is Brendan Helen a reluctant leader? And does, does,
0: does a, a newer, fresher face need to be part of uh, recovery for Labour?
2: I don't think he's a reluctant leader. I don't think you can call him that. Um, but I do think that the the question did arise as to whether he is the right person to believe in the party at this moment. Would it have been better to have someone like Alan Kelly? I know many people in the party had reservations about him, but would he have been a more strident, powerful figure in national debate than Brendan Howland? Does Brendan Howland now look old beside Leo Varadkar? And then we're going to probably see a change in Sinn Féin with Mary Lou MacDonald. That question, I think the Labour Party made their decision a couple of years ago. So they decided I, really to suck it up and yeah. wait for the
0: next election. And there is a kind of there's a bunch of contenders who they're hoping will be back in the doll.
2: Yeah, I would That's think good. so. If you look, if you look at the, those people we spoke about, like you know Alan Kelly, Devoy's opinion in the party that was plainly obvious from the last leadership election. There are a cohort of people like Aon O'Riordan, Jed Nash, that I, I I would imagine that many people in the party are hoping make it back into the doll. Alex White, Alex. That's a bit more of a, a steeper climb, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, but Alex did very well in in in, in the last election. You know, he he was in the hunt mm-hmm. at it. But I like think more the, people dismiss him than. But the point him.
2: being that yeah. there was. are a lar- large number of people in the party waiting for the guard to come over the top of the hill and yeah. get back into the doll right. and then lead the party. That's right. Yeah. That's do you agree great. with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you come back with seven seats, you come back with seven people. Um, so the, the the choice isn't overwhelming when it comes to something like that. Um, you come back with a lot less resources. Um, your relevancy within the doll and outside um, is depleted. So you know you, you don't. Back you don't hit six point four percent I think it was and then suddenly you jump up tomorrow you know there's actually a consequence of all that losing staff losing resources so I, I definitely do think that for the Labour Party is certainly a, a two election project um, I don't think Brendan um, is delirious enough to expect him. To to be riding into the doll with 30 people mm. uh, walking behind him after the next election. I think we're realistic about it and I think we need to be realistic about it. Um, as I said, there's no point in putting on your hat and pretending it isn't happening, which is what we probably did pre-2016. You know, it'll be grand come the election, if, if, the poll numbers if will go it's up. a
0: two-election strategy, though, Ed, I mean, I take your point about Labour being a party that wants to, you know, get its hands on the levers of power, but doesn't history tell us that every time Labour um, goes into government or is associated with government, it loses seats at the following Absolutely. election? Yeah, 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 So if yeah. The, if there's a two-stage process here mm. with a modest recovery at the next election, mm. doesn't that process require Labour to be out of government until the following election?
3: I'm, I'm not sure in, in the current kind of political climate of any strategy that talks about two election strategies or anything like that, I can kind of disagree a little bit with Rebecca on this. You know, politics is in such ferment, it's so volatile, it's changing so much. Like, who the hell knows what's going to happen? I mean, who the hell thought if all will be back the way they are now, after the le- you know, before the last election? You know who 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 knows what's going to happen after the next election. I know the polls are quite steady, but I mean we don't know. There are so many potential external forces happening. Like, what's, has has Brexit going? To, what's Brexit going to do for our politics? At the moment, it's a kind of a bipartisan issue. But is Brexit going to become politicised? I mean, I mean things like that. So I think any strategy that looks more than a few years ahead is by its nature a little bit flawed. So so, so personally, my view is we should be
0: at the table next time. Yeah, with those wise words, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to Ed, to Rebecca and to Fick. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember, you can always find us on irishtimes.com slash podcast, or you can subscribe via iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can get me on Twitter, or you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, goodbye, and thanks very much indeed for listening. I'm <gasps> sorry.